0: the SoundPrints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. SoundPrints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushavel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is SoundPrints for the week of February 21, 2016. ACB and Rite Aid have announced a new structured negotiations agreement this week. The following information was posted by Kim Charlson on the ACB leadership list. ACB announces Accessible Prescription Label Program, posted on February 18, 2016, on ACB leadership by Kim Charlson, ACB President. I'm pleased to announce that Rite Aid now has talking labels in all its stores across the country. This agreement was a result of structured negotiations between the American Council of the Blind, the California Council of the Blind, and Rite Aid. Rite Aid has made the Talking Pill Reminder system available in their stores. This is the same device used by Walgreens. If the Talking Pill Reminder is not effective for customers, Rite Aid will make the Script Talk talking labels available. Everything will be available free of charge to blind customers. Large print prescription information is also available in the stores. With so many stores, it is possible that there will be some implementation challenges early in the rollout. If you run into any problems, Rite Aid has provided ACB with a contact person for you to call. The Rite Aid contact person is Michael Mack, 717-975-5878. And the email is MAC at Rite Aid, The Write Aid general customer service number is 800-748-3243. Please start with the general Write Aid customer service line to resolve any issues. If you have difficulty, then contact Michael Mac directly. Right Aid wants to hear positive and negative feedback on the rollout, so please use the customer service line to convey feedback. This agreement is another big step in ACB's work to make sure blind people have safe and independent access to prescription information. The Kentucky State Legislature is now in session, and the state budget for the next two years is under consideration. Because of Kentucky's severe financial crisis, Governor Bevan has included in his budget across-the-board cuts for all state agencies. As many of you know from past discussions here on SoundPrints and from discussions at the 2015 KCB State Convention, the Office for the Blind has already had to close all categories except Category 1, and so no new cases can be put into active status except for those individuals with the most severe disabilities. At the Statewide Rehabilitation Council meeting this past Friday, OFB Director Allison Flanagan shared that should the governor's proposed budget cuts become a reality, the Office for the Blind will need to close Category 1, meaning that no new clients can be served due to lack of funds. KCB is calling on the state legislature to fund the Office for the Blind at a level that will allow the agency to pull down the federal dollars needed to serve Kentuckians who are blind and visually impaired. For every state dollar spent, OFB can receive $3.69 in federal dollars. If you live in Kentucky and you are willing to help us carry our message to the legislature, please call KCB at 502 Eight nine five four five nine eight, or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Several years ago, due to financial issues, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind in Lexington found it necessary to give up their meeting room that adjoined their office. In their February 2016 I Know e-newsletter, BCB announced impending big changes in their office space. We talk with Teresa Thomas, Executive Director of Bluegrass Council of the Blind, on page two. Listen as she shares their exciting news. National Braille Press announced earlier this week that Diane Croft will be retiring in April. Listen to an interview with Diane on page three as she shares how the availability of Braille books has changed since the early 1980s. For several years now, there's been much talk about driverless cars. Will they become a reality? Will they be safe? Will blind people be able to use them? Or is all this talk just a dream that will never happen for people who cannot see? An interesting article from townhall.com was posted on the ACBL email list this week by Peter Altschul, and we share it with you on page 4. And on page 5 is the Sound Prince calendar. page two. On the phone with me is Teresa Thomas, Executive Director of the Bluegrass Council of the Blind, and she has some great news and exciting news about an, e- an event, I guess we could call it, that's coming up with the Bluegrass Council. Welcome, Teresa.
1: Thank you. Yes, it's very exciting news.
0: Yes, in your uh, email newsletter that came out today, Monday, February 15, you had a great announcement about Bluegrass Council expanding, and and let's let people know, first so of all, Bluegrass Council is a regional affiliate of ACB, and it's in Lexington, Kentucky, and for the past several years, uh, you've been at a location on South Broadway, and now you're going to be there, but there's a big change coming, so tell us about it.
1: Absolutely. Yes, we have been at 1093 South Broadway in Lexington since 1995. And in recent years, uh, we just kind of keep growing and growing and we've kind of outgrown the space where we're at. The exciting news is that we are able to expand and not leave our current location. We are still going to be at 1093 South Broadway like we have been for the last 20 years. But we are expanding and taking on a few more suites right here on the same floor. So we're going to kind of flip-flop and, and move our offices to the other side of our conference room. So we'll still be in the same familiar location, just be a couple of doors down.
0: And also in that last 20 years you you had the conference room for a while and then for um, a little for a few years you you didn't actually ha- have the conference room you shared it and now you have that conference room back and to me that is a very exciting thing because that gives you plenty of space when you have activities groups in christmas parties meetings all of that kind of thing actually
1: i'm, I'm already kind of feeling that it's a little bit on the small side we We've been averaging 27 people in attendance for mm-hmm. our support group meetings. Mm-hmm. But when we have special occasions, like we had our uh, 40th anniversary celebration right, and we had our um, holiday celebration back in December, mm-hmm. we had 46 in attendance in October and we had 52 in attendance in December. That's great. So our conference room is even kind of tight, but <laughs> since we do have the adjacent – now, mm-hmm. we are able to open up those doors and use adjacent rooms to put some extra people or food or other things that we need to to kind of make that space work for us. It we gives have you an overflow. Mm-hmm. So the full kitchen in the new suites is going to make it a lot easier for events and meetings to to be able to have everything kind of spread out.
0: Now bluegrass is doing some some other interesting things that have kind of come along and happened since you became the executive director and one of those is all of your technology uh, the things that people can come there and mm-hmm. see and you've really done a great job of creating some new things. Um, Bluegrass has always been a place where people could pick up information even from its early days. Mm -hmm. It was a great place for people in Lexington to get information, pick up catalogs, brochures, etc. But today they can come in and try out a CCTV or learn to do a number of things. So tell us about the tech program.
1: With this new space that we've acquired, well, before that, in the space we had, we started really working different connections and relationships with different businesses and organizations and people to try and increase the donated items to our assistive technology lab, um, getting more CCTVs, handheld magnifiers, talking devices, just any type of assistive technology that helps people with low to no vision be more independent and safer and with that, we kind of outgrew our space for all of this equipment. Bluegrass has always had technology items available for hands-on demonstrations, but we've just kind of taken it to the next level to um, when we expanded next door, we're calling it our Assistive Technology Access Center. Mm -hmm. and the Access Center is just that. We're trying to make things accessible to people to try out. We have a lending library where we're able to loan these things out to people, let them take them home, use it in their own environment to see, is this really going to work for me? Because every person's vision is different, and everyone's environment is different, and lighting and things like that have such a, a different impact on different ways people see things. So... Our goal is to try and let people access all of these types of devices to learn about what's available, to try it out, to take it in their home and see what it's like. Is it going to work for them? Because as you know, these devices in many cases are extremely expensive. It's really tough when you think something's going to work and you get it home. You you spent several thousand dollars on something and you realize, you know, this doesn't work for me in my little home or my little office wherever it's at, it you know, sometimes it just doesn't work. And that's yeah. extremely discouraging for people to spend large sums of money on devices that just don't work.
0: When they get a specific amount of time or uh, with the understanding that if they find that they can use it, that it comes back in to be loaned to someone else and then they purchase one on their own? Or how yes. does that work?
1: Uh, we loan things out for a up to three-month period. Some people will return it within a couple of weeks and say, you know, this just didn't work for me. Or they'll figure out, oh, I love this, you know, two or three weeks, a month later, mm-hmm. and someone will go out and buy, it, buy one for them and they'll bring it back so we can mm-hmm. let someone else try it. Sometimes people get them home and it works for them, but it's an expensive device and they're not able to purchase one on their own. If it's an item that we don't have people on a wait list for, we'll let them check it out for another three months and see where we're at in three months. As our wait list grows, sometimes people have to return things, but we do try our best to make referrals to places where they can access what they need for their own home use. If we can't let them keep it, we refer to other organizations, we refer to places where they can get borrow them from another organization. There's also different grants and places that people can apply themselves for funding. We make referrals to those types of places. We do our best to help them get what it is they need, whether it's through us or through another organization or through a grant.
0: Now, you mentioned that you have a kitchen in this new suite of offices. And In the I Know News today, Uh which is a very neat name, I think, and that is spelled E-Y-E space K-N-O-W news for those listening and who don't receive the newsletter. In that newsletter today, you um, alluded to the possibility that you might be able to offer some independent living types of training there for people who are losing their vision so do you have any specific plans, or are you just beginning to go down that road? We're just beginning to go down that
1: road, but here in our current offices, we have some basic things like the bump dots on the microwave. Certain ways things are arranged or labeled. We have different ways of making things more accessible mm-hmm. in the in the, our current small kitchen area. Mm-hmm. And we plan to, of course, expand that into the kitchen area over there. We've also received a, a little bit of grant money to purchase some more items to help furnish that kitchen that are going to make things easier for people with low to no vision what, that we can use. To demonstrate such as the um, cutting boards that are black on one side and white on the other for contrast for people Mm -hmm. with low vision to be able to use the contrast when cutting items and preparing foods. We're writing grants now to see if we can get some other devices such as a talking microwave. I, I can't think off the top of my head some of the other items that we're asking for but we're working on a couple of other grants to help furnish that kitchen, the Pen Friend, which is a device that, it's, it's about a s- little bit larger than an ink pen, and it'll scan labels that you can create, stickers and labels. You can create them and basically assign a labeling system to them. You just wave the pen over it, and the pen will tell you what that sticker represents. So you could put the stickers on the different cabinets, and I could take the Pen Friend, and one wave it over each one, and it'll say, "This is the cups, and this is the plates, and this mm-hmm. is, you know, this is where we keep the printer paper, and this is where we keep the ink pens and twenty twenty pens." So it's kind of a labeling system for people with low vision or no vision at all mm-hmm. can quickly find what they're looking for by using that that system. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: we're we're writing some grants to get some other uh, items. We've been looking at things like Esther's Place. Um, to see what types of things they have in their kitchen and kind of going off that. But we're still in the beginning stages of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Sounds like fun. It sounds like a wonderful uh, possibility for some other things. I know that a lot of times, you know, the independent living program within the Office for the Blind is great, um, but they just can't get to people always. Um, in a, in a timely fashion because, as we all know, the office is very, very strapped for money. So sometimes people just need a little help. Sometimes they might not need a big solution to a right. problem. They might need a little solution. You know, it's amazing what you can do with a piece of scotch tape on a microwave oven I mean, exactly you really sometimes you don't need to know what all of those buttons are
2: you exactly. just need to
0: use the mark the ones that are most useful and if the person has people in the house who are sighted you've got to have a solution that's clear so they can use the oven too so there's all kinds of different things that um that a uh, uh, that that might fit different situations just like the CCTVs and the technology right you know it, it it's it's always different depending on where on on their own uh, situation and having some kind of you know independent living type of uh, training there could could really be helpful because you know as people come in they they might not, they might not want to wait six weeks or two months or whatever for someone to get around to coming to see them.
2: Exactly.
0: Yeah, and so that'll be wonderful. This is just great. Well, congratulations on having the extra space. It's going to be a big deal to have to move everything. Um, We were talking before we began the recording here about just it, it is a big deal to move. You know, sometimes you think, Well, I'm just moving next door. I'm just moving over a couple of offices. But, you know, that, that's a big job. Either, No matter how you cut it, it's a big deal to move.
1: So. It really is, and there's so much planning involved. And oh, that's, yeah. that's the stage we're at right now. We have been able, the landlord has worked with us wonderfully, and I have to give big shout-out to Jeff Baumgardner and our landlord for allowing us to move at our own pace The uh, space has been vacant, so we've we've been able to move some things over just to kind of give us a little more elbow room until we get it all figured out. The the planning process of moving phones and Internet and computers and to to get it all lined up where it doesn't interfere with the, the services that we're providing and our members and the meetings and it, it's a lot of work.
0: <laughs> it's an enormous amount of work. so And I don't envy you one bit, but when it's all said and done, come what, April 1? Yes. Yeah, when that's all done, it's going to be fabulous.
1: So. We are very excited. Our official start date is April 1, mm-hmm. but it's kind of looking like we could very well be over there and settled in and up and running by March 15th.
0: Oh, that would be great. That would um, be great.
1: So uh, we're, we've we got our fingers crossed, and um, as long as it doesn't interfere with our grant writing and deadlines and uh, membership meeting, our membership meeting is going to be March 8th. Mm-hmm. Um, so my personal goal is to have everything done by March 8th <laughs> oh, <laughs> so we that, can that it off be, to everybody.
0: Absolutely. That, um, that would be wonderful. Yes. And that's the one that um, you're having a lunch and sponsored by Vanda?
1: Yes, we mm-hmm. are having a luncheon, and Vanda Pharmaceuticals is sponsoring lunch, and they're going to have a presentation. Mm-hmm. So we'll do our, our membership meeting at the beginning, and then it will be followed by the Vanda, uh, well, by lunch, and then the Vanda presentation.
0: So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Teresa, let's give your telephone number. We usually put it on our Soundprints calendar every week, and we list in Bluegrass events on that calendar, but let's give your telephone number here.
1: You can reach us at 859-259-1834. Again, 859-259-1834. Our website is www.bcbky.org. And you can either call us or go to our website and sign up for our newsletter. It comes out on the 1st and the 15th of each month. Again, that's the I Know News. And you can either sign up online or give us a call. Okay.
0: All right. Well, thank you.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for giving me a call. I appreciate it.
0: Page 3. On the phone with me is Diane Croft. Diane, has been with the National Braille Press for many, many, many years. And this week, some of the big news that came out was that Diane is going to be, um, well, we won't call it retiring. We'll call it um, leaving National Braille Press for other pursuits here in the near future. And so we're going to be chatting with Diane about some of the things that are the high points of the last, oh, what, 30-plus years with NBP. Welcome, Diane. Well, thank you. Diane, you have just done so many things with National Braille Press. You've been editing so many books and responsible for writing so many things. Um, I mean, we could spend our entire time just talking about each each issue or each book or um, all of the things that you have done. But let's go back to when you came to National Braille Press first and then talk about some of the some of the things, the first things that you did, and how things have changed over the years. So I'm going to let you just kind of take us where you would like to go on this look back at the at the past years. Sure,
2: I can think of three major um, directions we took in the very beginning. You know, the good thing about me coming from outside the field was, you know, I was surprised at things that didn't exist back then. Though. We're talking about 1982, so things have changed a great deal since then. But back then, um, you know, I was very surprised to discover that you couldn't just buy any print braille book, children's book you wanted. Um, You could borrow it from the library, which you can still do today, fabulous service. Mm -hmm. And there were volunteer groups who were, you know, filling in an enormous gap in that regard. But I just couldn't believe there wasn't anything, you know, on a regular basis. That led to the Children's Barrel Book Club. Um, It was difficult to get it started in the beginning because we really needed publishers to donate the print books. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we weren't going to be able to afford the program if we didn't get that to happen. Mm -hmm. So it took six months of trying to convince publishers to donate the books. Finally, someone locally at Houghton Mifflin said the important word, yes, and everything came from that. That was just such a happy day because we knew that once we got one publisher to agree, we could get others in that. Time. Right. So certainly the book club was an early um, program that was started back when I came. The other thing I was surprised about was, you know, at the time, uh, you couldn't get, you know, the daily news. This is way before the Internet and everything else. I can't believe how long ago we're talking. Oh, I know. But, I know. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, you know, I remember talking to some students in the area, and they said, oh, we just love to read the paper. And I realized early on, you know, before Newsline figured it out, how it could be done. But mm-hmm. I could see we couldn't do the whole paper in Braille every day and get it out. It's just not feasible. <laughs> um, no way. <laughs> you know, I realized that I just love the editorial page and that the editorial page did not have to be quite as current. It didn't have to be in the moment. In fact, editorials are best when the writer has had time to digest and really synthesize the news and develop a perspective. So we started Syndicated Commons Weekly, and uh, of course that's continued all these years, so Mm -hmm. I would put that in the pile of early beginnings. And finally, um, well, the personal computer was just coming out in the the 80s. Yes. yes. Oh, my gosh, Carly, the young (laughs) people listening to this show... (laughs)
0: They have no idea. <laughs> you know, my grandson said to me about a year ago, he's about 11 now, and he said, I hear that there were things called floppy disks. <laughs> and this kid is one that, you know, you know is mulling over every word before it comes out. And he said, I I hear that they were quite large. And I said, well, yes, David, they were. they were pretty good size. But this is how much information they held, and he goes, "That's not much." <laughs> no kidding, you know.
2: Oh, it's just—it's
0: really mind-boggling
2: how yeah. how things have changed in that yeah. regard. But yeah. getting started—I mean, I remember seeing the beach and reading Peter. Um, mcwilliams book on on it was called something like my first personal computer (laughs) and reading about bits and bytes and ram and rom and things that talked about then hardware software we'd never heard of that outside a hardware store right and thinking oh my gosh this is going to change everything so we put out the beginner's guide in 84 and um by the time i got it out uh we featured six um talking computers three were already out of business Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, it launched the whole, um, you know, publications department in technology, mm-hmm. which you know went through all the Windows thing, and then of course iOS came, and that's been huge. So I would say getting these books out on technology would be the third part. That
0: the little reference guides have just been yes. great over the years. There have been so many, and they, you know, they're little small books, half size, you know, just paperback, and so it's not like it has to be a big multi-volume thing in order to be handy and useful. Right. And, uh, and, of course, um, being able to download the, the information and get it into a note taker as the years have gone by, having those kinds of options, there's just so much that has changed over those 34 years
2: it's hard to even understand how all that could happen. But it's also been very stressful, you know, to have so much change, and it seems to be happening at a more rapid pace all the time. Uh, both stressful for us to try to keep up with it, but also for the end user to, to digest all that's happening and make it work.
0: I, I think one of the things that has been as significant as the publications themselves is the fact that National Braille Press came up with the Jiffy Braille. And, of course, that's what helped get Syndicated Columnist Weekly out. Right. But it also helped bring the costs of other books down. And then, of course, you know lots of funding that you had from different grants and things, too. It was so exciting to receive these lists of of books that nbp had available little notices of new things coming out it might be a cookbook it might be some other guide to something not just computers and it would be affordable I think that was as significant in the distribution of braille materials as the computer books themselves. You know, and then you would have the the books that were going out of out of stock, the things that were the yeah. the last of the run. So you'd have these bargain prices or you know announcements of the you know get it now or it's going to be gone. And and it just brought I think excitement to owning books and again they didn't have to be big multi-volume books they could be just a little small uh, guide to html or a, a guide to you know some windows program or
2: yeah, yeah a small book of quotes you know after we start putting out yes. little spiral books of quotations people would say well why can't you put all our books into little spiral notebooks like that well <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work you know what's been just so great is the reception that we've received from customers in terms of buying our publications. Because back in the 80s, when we started the publishing department here, there was no book share. People were borrowing from the library, volunteers were doing mm-hmm. books. And people told me, Well, no, people are used to getting Braille for free. Nobody's going to pay for it. And I said, Well, how do we know that? And I said, No, they're not going to pay for it if it's $60. Right. But what if it were the same price as the print book, which is an idea that Bill Rader and some of our trustees here we very much in favor of. And we got together, I remember one day, and decided, what if we just set this crazy policy that our Braille publications would be the same as, as the print? And we'd make everything up through fundraising. And we decided to go with that. And here, all these years later, thanks to our really fantastic development department, we've been able to continue to do that. And the first book we put out Uh, With the elements of style, um, it was very hard to think about what could we put out as our first book to test this idea that blind people might actually buy a book if it were the same price as the print book. Mm -hmm. And they could get it and own it. And so we Mm -hmm. put out the elements of style, and we sold out immediately, and (laughs) that's how the whole thing started. So if the consumer base had not been receptive, and they have been, and and they want to own and they want to pay the same price, and they want a diversity of publications to choose from. And if that, if all that hadn't happened, uh, well, we wouldn't be having this interview today.
0: Yes. Well, there's another thing that you've done, too. With the cookbooks, you began coming out with a chapter right, of a book. So if I didn't want the whole cookbook and I just wanted information on vegetables or cookies or candy or desserts or whatever, I could just get that chapter.
2: Yes, now I will say not everyone likes that, Carla. I'm glad it's worked (laughs) for you. But, you know, they'll say, why don't you do the whole book? But the fact is we still, even all these years later, Braille is still, you know, more expensive to produce because we're selling so many fewer copies than the equivalent book in print. So, you know, other people say, well, Mm why did you just do this chapter? We want the whole thing. But, you know, we had to do what we were able to do and could Mm -hmm. raise funds for and as you said our thought was well better to have the whole chapter on cookies than none at all
0: diane let me ask you about a a really big change that's come along and that's the ueb uh, change the change over on january 4 to to ueb how how does how do you think that's going to impact things
2: um, actually i'm probably not a good person to ask it'd be better (laughs) to ask someone in the production department and our transcribers and proofreaders. Mm-hmm. But I will say that um, the people work here are really smart, and they picked up UEB. They studied it for quite a long time, and we started producing publications in UEB here a year ago, mm-hmm. you know, a year ahead of the deadline, mm-hmm. because everyone wanted to make sure they were going to get it right. And so we had a lot of practice. We started with actually syndicated this weekly, it was short, and we felt readers would be, you know, receptive to change and um, to trying it out. And, of course, as you know, Carla, it was controversial all the way around. Um, You've got, you got it, that right. Yeah. That's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we got mail from people who said, well, okay, you know how it is. You fear the unknown. And once we said, you know, this is going to happen, and here it is, and we, you know, certainly published um some guides around that that were very helpful mm-hmm. and gave them away and people really we don't hear anything about UEB mm-hmm. being difficult to read anymore mm-hmm. so i can't really speak to how it plays out in production for mm-hmm. making things easier but i do know that one of the primary reasons that the original committee wanted to do this was to make it easier for young kids to learn braille i mean that was a really important factor in making a lot of these decisions to sort of get rid of some of the ambiguity and some of the confusion that might result for the new braille reader. As I understand it, that really is very helpful on that end. Mm-hmm. In terms of the producers, I'm not sure, but we're having no trouble and haven't had any trouble moving over to UEB. And I don't know, how are you finding it as a reader?
0: I I find that as a reader, it's not that difficult. There's only a few signs that aren't there. There's things that look weird. It certainly looks weird to have an ST sign and mistake. It looks weird to have organization written with an A and then a T-I-O-N sign at the end. But that's because of what we're used to. Right. Um, I think it's more difficult to write. Uh, I don't like the two-cell signs that are parentheses has now become, you know, two cells. And Mm -hmm. all the indicators, they just you know you can get just a wash in indicators but i think that we'll i mean we'll figure it out you know right and the other
2: reason for making some of those changes is you know print has actually evolved quite a bit too. right it's very different and, mm-hmm. right and so by making it more similar to print students who really have to often sort through a lot of of you know, that those sorts of changes in a print format and understanding exactly when something is, say, made bold or italics or underlined, that sorts of thing, that many of the changes were made for that purpose as mm-hmm. well. So, again, it's not going to be beneficial for someone who's been reading Braille for a long time and is right. no longer in school, but mm-hmm. for the new reader or for a student who does have to know exactly what something looks like, you know, if the mm-hmm. test says, what does this word in bold mean? Need yes. They to, need to know, they need is, to know which so. word is bolded. Yeah. 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 I think the people who originally conceived of this idea, and of course there's this I, the other part that now we have a unified code after all these years, you know, that extends beyond the United States. So right. I think for those reasons, you know, certainly your generation had to live through, you know, this transition mm-hmm. period, but mm-hmm. it should be, Smoother sailing, you know, yes. for the younger people.
0: Well, let's talk uh, a little bit about what you're going to be doing after you are no longer at National Park Press. Well,
2: kind of this is my first interview on that subject, so <laughs> let's see how I answer that question. <laughs> okay. Well, I always imagined I would leave the press when I retire. So as you as you pointed out, I'm not retiring, but I am, as, to borrow a phrase, rewiring. Okay. And I always imagined that would happen. Sort of unpredictably, I've developed a fascination with the psyche and particularly the unconscious part of our psyche. It might not be of that much interest to your listeners, but to try to be brief about it, I, I've actually been interested in it for about 15 years. And oh I started to write a book about it mm-hmm. about 10 years ago and didn't really know what would happen with it. And. I'm getting ready now to actually publish it, and I have some good reviews and blurbs about it. And and I thought, what if I just took a big risk and left um, this job I love and this work I love and devoted the rest of my time or my work time to trying to figure out what I'm saying in this book, promote the book, and begin to speak about some of the discoveries that I've made for myself that might be of benefit to other people. So I don't know where it's going, Carla. I do have my first speaking engagement in April up in Maine, where I'll be speaking about and selling the book. So it's starting in April, and that's why I thought I would um, step down from my position here at that time, mm-hmm. because, I, um, you know, you can only put energy in so many places. Right. Yeah. And I'm <laughs> certainly... To put a lot of energy here that, that I've loved doing, but I feel like to take this next step, I need to make a break and, and um, put my energy toward this new thing that's happened in my life.
0: Well, we'll certainly be interested to hear more about that as it progresses. I saw in the press release that there's going to be a search committee, um that would indicate to me that there probably is not an heir apparent to your desk, that they'll be looking for people, applicants, to fill the position. Is, is there, uh, I'm, I'm assuming there will be an effort to make sure that um, people within the blind community are um, know about the application process and how that will, how that will go? I'm so glad you asked that question,
2: Carla, because I hope amongst your listeners um, that qualified applicants will certainly apply for this position. Uh, That's our greatest hope. Um, The reason there hasn't been much information about that yet is first we want to announce I was stepping down. Yes. (laughs) Obviously, before we announced the – The The new job uh, Mm -hmm. postings. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of doing it in that order. But having said that, now that this announcement has gone out about me leaving, um, the job will be posted if it's not posted already by the time this this interview airs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean AIRS. I I do want to talk about that. We will have the posting on our website. And applicants, uh, I'm encouraging qualified people to apply, um, should send – a cover letter and resume to hr at nbp.org. So, hr for human resources mm-hmm. at mbp.org. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, uh, the position is going to be called Editor and Programs Manager. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they're looking for someone who can write and edit, um, work with authors. Um, meet deadlines for getting publications out and so on. Mm -hmm. But there's also a lot of program management in the position. You know, we have a read books program, which are free braille literacy bags. We have our new Great Expectations program, which is about uh, bringing picture books to life for blind kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a lot of managing those programs, which is really a lot of fun. And then there is quite a bit of um, promotion that goes with the position, meaning writing catalogs and flyers, um, um, attending conferences and trade shows. So I would say writing, program management, and PR are all three really important skill sets to bring to -hmm. the position. Mm -hmm. And since we do have... um, a great number of publications about access technology. Mm-hmm. We certainly love people who have a great knowledge and familiarity with that um, to step
0: forward. Mm-hmm. And so, on the search committee that will be looking at at these applicants, um, I would just about bet that there are some. Blind or visually impaired people uh, that on that committee that the blind community is represented on that committee. Well, another good question. Yes, fifty percent
2: of the search committee is made up of people who are blind. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying who's on the committee right. because apparently it's it's to be confidential. Sure, so people don't hit them up on the side. But <laughs> yeah. yes, uh, that's absolutely the case.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's really good, and I'm sure that um, there will be. Uh, uh, hoping that there will be some really good applicants for the position. I'm sure that, that they will select someone who can really um, continue the good work that's, that's been built up by, by you sitting in that chair for all these years, um, and that's figuratively because you don't spend a whole lot of time <laughs> with all the things that you have to do. I'm, I'm sure you're, you know, it's extremely busy. Um, the no, other thing be, that we probably... Before prob- you
2: leave that, because you've given me a great segue to okay. something. You mentioned sitting in that chair. Yeah. So picture me sitting in a chair mm-hmm. uh, all by myself in an office of one, mm-hmm. and the fact is, all the things we've talked about would never have happened if I were alone sitting in a chair in an mm-hmm. office by myself. And right. I want to give a big shout out to all the people who work here and all the departments. It's going to make me cry, but they're the ones who get all this out. They're the ones who raise the funds for it, learn UEB, you know, mm-hmm. transcribe syndicated columnists, get your right. kids' books proofread and out. Yep. You know what a good job everybody does. Press and collate. Mm-hmm. And um that's who makes all this happen. And yes, the work will continue because all those people are still here, still working so hard. And the second thing you mentioned about the new person continuing the work, certainly it will continue, but what we're excited about is, you know, a, a person bringing in new ideas, mm-hmm. new energy, new creativity. You know, I stayed on a long time. So time for some new thinking and ideas. So, um, yes, it will continue because of the staff we have here, but we're also very
0: excited about who's going to come in. Right. And uh, probably the last thing we need to note is that in that job description, with all the various things that are going on, you know, in today's world, a lot of times the first thing someone says is, well, can I do this Remotely, can I do this without having to be there? And it would seem to me that with all of the many different aspects of this position, not just the editing and writing. You can edit and write probably from anywhere. But, you know, all the program management and coordination and all of those kinds of things, I think that we probably would need to know that, at least I would assume, that this would be a position that would be based in Boston.
2: Yes, Carl, you asked. just perfect questions. I'm sorry I didn't mention that. Yes, you do need to physically be here
0: yes.
2: in, in the Boston area. Um, as you said, it, you know, I'm not really sitting in my chair. We're constantly, <laughs> all of us, moving around right. from office to department. Yes, but and you I have try. to be able to interact. You, you do. Yeah. And, and we have a fabulous publications team here. You know Tony Grandma and um, company and customer service and so on, and right. we're meeting all the time about issues. So yes, right. you very much need to be here. So that was a, another good question, Carla.
0: Well, Diane, we certainly wish you all the best with your book, and you know that you are going to be greatly missed um, at the in, in in at the helm of of coordinating all of these things and getting all of these bringing us all these wonderful books. And we do appreciate greatly just tremendously all of the things that you've done over the years and we as i said we do wish you every good thing that can happen so thank you so much for all you've done
2: thank you carla and um, please tell your listeners how much i'm gonna miss them
0: page four robot cars from townhall.com by john stossel Published February 17, 2016. The Tesla S is the closest thing to a totally driverless car available now. I had to leave my state to test drive it. New York's archaic laws forbid taking both hands off the wheel. Once outside New York, the Tesla representative in the passenger seat had me turn on the autopilot. Suddenly, I was doing nothing. The car drove itself. Actually, I didn't do nothing. I hyperventilated. It's not natural to sit passively while driving at 65 miles per hour. Then came my accident. In a narrow tunnel, the car drifted left and a tire banged against the side of the tunnel. If I hadn't quickly grabbed the steering wheel, we would have crashed. Was the computer-guided car unable to handle a narrow tunnel? No, it turned out the mistake, as usual, was human error. My error. I had nervously touched the steering wheel when we entered the tunnel, and that disengaged the autopilot. The Tesla guy didn't warn me, or maybe he did, and I forgot. Once I learned how the car worked, I found the driverless car pretty wonderful, although weird. It's counterintuitive to trust a computer to handle a car's sharp turns or stop-and-go traffic. But it does work. That's the big point. Driverless cars are safer than we drivers are. Ninety-four percent of people killed in car crashes are killed because of human error. The car sensors see when I'm approaching another car. They see better than we do. They are our future, says economist James Miller. I asked him why drivers should trust the computer. After all, computers crash. People know that machines are better than people at a lot of tasks, was his smart answer. Our brains are basically machines, but not machines optimized for going 65 miles an hour. As for crashing, he points out that computer buyers aren't willing to spend extra money for a backup system, but drivers definitely will. Robot cars may soon save 30,000 lives a year, if bureaucrats let them. It will be a battle. The technology is way ahead of our laws. Soon after my car was driving itself, I got bored, so I picked up a newspaper. Not a good idea, John, scolded my Tesla co-pilot. He reminded me that state laws say a human driver must always be in control. It would also be against the law if I had gone to sleep. But someday that will be an option. Commuting will be much less stressful." because robot cars are safer, insurance rates will drop. Some people will still want to drive themselves, and those people will pay a little more. That's fine, but then our authoritarian government will probably switch gears and ban dangerous human driving. Maybe that will be the libertarian controversy in 2021. Freedom doesn't mean doing anything you want. It means, in part, Deciding when to give up control and when to retain it. It also means doing nothing that directly harms others. Giving up some control to machines has been a benefit for centuries. Robot cars will take away jobs from some taxi drivers, truck drivers, delivery men, etc. Unions, the New York Times and maybe Donald Trump, will demand laws to protect those jobs. But that's a mistake experts always say automation will create unemployment in 1930 a new york times headline said economists predict number of men employed will decline but the opposite has happened 46 million americans had jobs when that headline came out now 150 million do technology did destroy some jobs 90% of americans once worked on farms Now just 2% do. Somehow, today those 2% grow more food for less money. A hundred million Americans found other jobs. This is a great thing. Farm work was grueling, dangerous, and time-consuming. Better agricultural technology frees people up to do safer, more interesting jobs. It also allows people more leisure. Think how many things we're free to do now that we grow food with the help of a tractor. Maybe someday we will look at driving cars the way we now look
3: at farming with a mule. Find books and more in accessible media with APH's free-of-charge Louis database. HTTP colon slash slash Locate accessible educational materials from nearly 200 different agencies. APH products and textbooks can also be located using Louis. New extended searching now available with free Louis Plus. Visit soon, http colon slash slash dot org. book materials help Braille users jot notes quickly. Pull APH's many book Braille binder out of your pocket and begin to write on the many book slate in just seconds. Materials are sold separately so that you can choose the combination that's right for you. Call the American Printing House for the Blind toll free 800 223 1839 or visit www.aph.org page
0: 5 the sound prince calendar february 26 is the last glcb roundabout of february education and technology from 330 to 6 dinner pizza $5 a person, six to seven, and games and crafts from seven to ten. 502 895 4598 to sign up, and of course, roundabouts are held at the United Crescent Hill Ministries. On February 27 to March 1, the American Council of the Blind will hold its mid year meetings, including the President's Meeting, Board Meeting, and the ACB Legislative Seminar at the Crown Plaza Old Town in Alexandria, Virginia. Visit www.acb.org or call the ACB National Office at 202-467-5081 for information. On February 28, the Kentucky Council of the Blind Next Generation Chapter for people 40 and under will hold its dine-out from 1 to 3 p.m. at the Texas Roadhouse at 6460 Dutchman's Parkway in Louisville. Call 502-750-1774 or email alsmootsmoot87 at gmail.com. On March 2, the KCBPR Membership Committee will hold its meeting at 8 p.m. by phone at 605-475-6006 code 294444. March 3 is the next meeting of ACB Lions, monthly meeting for blind lions from throughout the country. Call 712-432-3900 and enter code seven nine six zero nine six. 96 The call is at 9 Eastern. On March 4, the GLCB roundabout will have Braille and Tech Tips from 3.30 to 5.00, a presentation on the Civil War in Jefferson County, a look back in time from 5 to 6 p.m., dinner from 6 to 7, and games and crafts from 7 to 10. On March 6th, the Greater Louisville Council will be holding its committee meetings. The Advocacy Committee meets at 7, the Education Technology Committee at 8, and the Activities Committee at 9, all on the conference line at 6.05, 475-6006. Enter code 294444. On March 8th, the Bluegrass Council quarterly meeting will be from 12 to 2 p.m. The program is being presented by Vanda Pharmaceuticals. The meeting will be at the BCB office on South Broadway in Lexington. Call 859-259-1834 for more information. Also on March 8, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVI, will hold its monthly meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time in Owensboro. It will be at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, and the presentation is on emergency preparedness. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170. On March 10, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its monthly meeting at 7 p.m. Eastern by phone. Call 605-475-4700 and enter code 155619. March 11 is a GLCB roundabout with Braille and Tech Tips from 3.30 to 5, a discussion topic which will be Eating Healthy with Diabetes from 5 to 6 p.m., Dinner, Five dollars a person from six to seven and games and crafts from seven to ten at united crescent hill ministries call 502-895-4598 to sign up on march 12th the greater louisville council of the blind will have its board meeting at 11 a.m by phone 605-475-6006 enter code 294444 march 13 is the KCB Next Generation meeting by conference call at 8 p.m. Eastern at 605-475-6006, code 294444. On March 15, the Tri-State Library users will have its in-person dinner meeting in Louisville. The time, place, and topic are to be announced. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, Call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org.